Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. I have three parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our controversial draw to Sassuolo on Sunday, and in parts 2 and 3, we'll preview our match against Atalanta on Saturday. So let's start with our draw to Sassuolo. This was a great match for about 65 minutes. Neither team scored in the first half, but Napoli scored twice in the first 15 minutes of the second half. Fabian Ruiz opened the scoring with his fifth goal of the season, assisted by Piotr Zielinski. Dries Mertens doubled our lead just before the hour mark. That was his fourth goal since he replaced Victor Osman in the Inter match. Zielinski assisted that goal as well, so he now has three goals and two assists in his last five matches. So all seemed to be going well. Our traveling fans were having a good time. They were actually louder than the local fans, which made for a bit of a strange atmosphere. Then the wheels completely fell off. First, Fabian Ruiz was forced to leave the match with what appeared to be a groin injury. Spalletti said after the match that Fabian was going to come off, but he asked to play for two more minutes and in those two minutes he got hurt. He joined Lorenzo Insigne on the bench. Insigne was taken off at the break with tightness in his calf. Spalletti said after the match that he removed Insigne for precautionary reasons. Gianluca Scamacca pulled one back in the 71st minute. That was his third goal in as many matches. About 10 minutes later, Kalidou Koulibaly was forced to leave the match as well. So we played the final 10 minutes of this match without Victor Osman, Frank Zambuangisa, Lorenzo Insigne, Fabian Ruiz, and Kalidou Koulibaly. Then, just like last season, Sassuolo scored a very late equalizer. Last season, the equalizer was the result of a mistake from a Napoli player. This season, a lot of people felt the goal was a result of an officiating error. Luciano Spalletti certainly felt that way. He had some choice words for match official Ivano Pezzuto that got himself dismissed. They must have been harsh words because Spalletti was suspended for two matches, so he won't be on the touchlines for both the Atalanta and the Empoli matches. Now, the club is going to appeal to have that suspension reduced to one match. Sassuolo nearly completed the disaster with a 93rd minute Gregoire de Frel goal, but VAR ruled the goal out for a foul by Domenico Berardi on Amir Rachmani. Sassuolo nearly completed the disaster with a 93rd minute Gregoire de Frel goal, but VAR ruled that goal out for a foul by Domenico Berardi on Amir Rachmani. That made this bitter pill slightly easier to swallow, but it was still pretty nasty. We'll cover all of that in this review and we'll revisit our three keys to the match, but first let's review the starting lineups. 
Sassuolo lined up in their usual 4-3-3 with Andrea Consigli in goal, Francesco Ferrari and Vlad Kirikes started at centre-back, Rogerio started at left-back and Jeremy Tolian started at right-back. Maxime Lopez played as the regista behind Davide Fratesi and Hamid Jr. Traore, Giacomo Raspadori started on the left wing, Domenico Berardi started on the right wing, and Gianluca Scamacca started at striker. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti went with the exact same team that he fielded against Lazio. Davido Spina started in goal, Kaladu Kulibeli and Amir Rachmani played at centre-back, Mario Rui started at left-back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at right-back, Fabian Ruiz and Stanislav Lobotka started in the double pivot, Lorenzo Insigne started on the left wing, Chucky Lozano started on the right wing, Piotr Zelinski played in the number 10, and Dries Mertens started at striker. So those were the starting lineups, next let's revisit our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is that we had to come into this match with the right mentality, we had to approach it like we approached the Lazio match. I'm going to call this one a push and I'll explain why. I thought for about 70 minutes we were easily the stronger side. Even though we didn't score in the first half, we controlled the run of play and we created the lion's share of the chances. Zielinski and Insigne both missed really good opportunities to score. Zielinski just guided his shot over the bar from the edge of the 6-yard box and Consili made a fine save on Insigne. Sassuolo actually looked like they were playing for a nil-nil draw. They were taking every opportunity they could to run some time off the clock, which is not something you typically see in the first half. But every free kick, every corner kick, every throw in, every goal kick, they were taking their sweet time. But we didn't let that get to us. We came out strong in the second half and scored those two quick goals. All of that to me is a sign of a strong mentality. The reason I called this one a push though is because when we were faced with adversity, when players started to get hurt and when Sassuolo pulled one back, that mental resolve dissipated. And that's fully understandable. We started the match without Osman and Angisa to losing Sinja, Fabian and Koulibaly in the span of half an hour or so can be very demoralizing. After Koulibaly left the game, we seemed panicked, we seemed scared, Sassuolo smelled blood and they took advantage. I also think Spalletti didn't necessarily help with his changes. I think he overmanaged just a little bit. He started the second half with Elmas on the left wing. Then when Fabian got hurt, he dropped Elmas into the midfield, moved Lozano to the left wing, and played Politano on the right wing. Then only seven minutes later, he removed Lozano, moved Elmas back to the left wing, and played Demme in the midfield. I think that just caused unnecessary confusion. I think it would have been much simpler to replace Fabian with Demme, which is a like-for-like change, and leave Elmas on the wing so he plays there for the entire half. Then replace Lozano with Politano, which would have been another like-for-like change. So all in all, I'm going to call that one a push. My second key to the match was that we needed to mark Sassuolo's front three tight. I have to call this one a fail simply because of how we conceded the two goals. Skamaka was left completely unmarked when he scored. That was because Rachmani was marking no one and Koulibaly followed the run of Berardi. Mario Rui tried to step up on the shot but he wasn't able to block it. Now, I know a lot of people jumped on Mario Rui for turning his back. I agree he should have been a bit more brave. What he should have done was stuck his body in front of the shot and maybe just turned his head not his entire body. Now, I can appreciate why he didn't stick a foot in, because these days you're taking a huge risk in doing that. If there is even the slightest touch, that player is going to ground and they're going to get a penalty. Now, yes, it's better to concede a penalty instead of a goal, but I could just imagine the lambasting Mario Rui would have taken if he conceded a penalty and Sassuolo converted it. 
Now, we do also have to give Sassuolo credit, specifically three players, Ferrari, Kiriakopoulos, and Skamaka. This play started with an Ospina long ball, and Ferrari won the header over Lobotka to win possession. Then Raspadori blasted his pass to Kiriakopoulos, and the Greek did really well to control that pass. Then he took on Di Lorenzo 1v1 and played a perfect cross to Skamaka. Finally, Skamaka's control with his chest while turning and his first-time volley were all really, really well done. He's obviously playing with a ton of confidence at the moment. So that was the first goal. The marking on the second goal was really poor as well. Juan Jesus was the player who replaced Koulibaly when he got hurt and he just lost Ferrari and Ferrari made no mistake with the header. It was as if Jesus was expecting Ferrari to run into the area and Ferrari just pulled up on him. Kind of like in basketball how a shooting guard or a point guard pulls up on a defender to take the jump shot. Again though, I think we need to give Sassuolo credit. I thought Ferrari was Sassuolo's best player and the ball from Berardi was superb as well. I'll come back to this goal in a little bit to talk about whether Sassuolo should have been awarded a free kick in the first place. Our final key to the match was that we needed to take our chances, and I'm going to say that we achieved this goal. Sure, there were chances that we missed. I mentioned those Zielinski and Insigne chances in the first half, but we also scored two goals, and for a team who had conceded only seven goals heading into this match, usually when we score twice, we win the match. Not to belabor the point, but the injuries obviously inhibited our ability to create chances. I think losing Fabian really affected our ability to hold onto the ball. Now, I saw a lot of people say Spalletti got it wrong by removing Mertens when he did because we never looked like scoring after Mertens came out. But I think Spalletti was taking a calculated risk there. When he removed Mertens, we were up 2-0 and given the situation, he just wanted to protect the lead. Patania is quite useful in that regard. He's a big body so he can win balls in the air. His hold-up play is very good as well. But you can only hold up the ball if you have the ball in the first place. We just did not have enough of the ball in the final 15-20 to 20 minutes of the match. I know you need to focus on one match at a time, but I'm sure Spalletti was also thinking ahead to Atalanta. As we saw with Lazio, if Mertens plays for only an hour, then he's able to start the next match only 3 or 4 days later. And people will say, well, you have to win this match first, but it's a part of the manager's job to manage his players' time. And to be frank, with how little of the ball we had at the end of the match, Mertens wouldn't have scored either. Perhaps you can make the argument that we should have left Lozano in because he has the pace to chase down those long balls, while Mertens certainly does not. But Lozano has played a lot of minutes lately, with Politano out due to COVID. We've got enough injuries as it is, so we don't need any more. So we pushed on our first key, we failed on our second, and we achieved our third, which means a draw sort of makes sense. The last thing I want to talk about, unfortunately, is the officiating. This match was officiated by Ivano Pezzuto, who was calling only his sixth match ever in Serie A. Apparently, the VAR crew is managing the VAR for the first time ever. That in itself is a little bit crazy, giving an inexperienced officiating crew the biggest match of the round. Now, obviously, with the Marescas and the Orzatos of the world, experience isn't everything, especially if a certain black and white team is involved. So Pezzuto calls the match... And I have to say, he was quite poor. Corriere dello Sport gave him a 4.5 rating for his performance. Now, I think there were a lot of minor or inconsequential decisions that went against us that individually were not necessarily a big deal. But collectively, it made it feel like we were playing uphill. In the ninth minute, Skamaka headed our corner kick over the Sassuolo bar and he awarded them a goal kick. In the 17th minute, Lobotka was fouled in a dangerous area and he played the advantage only for us to immediately kick the ball out to touch so it would have been more advantageous for us to get the free kick. 
We saw Maxime Lopez flopping all over the place whenever anyone was near him and getting the foul decisions. Just before the break, there was a play where Kirikas appeared to touch the ball last tackling Zelinski, but again, a goal kick was awarded. And shortly after that, Traore took out Rachmani and wasn't cautioned when he clearly should have been. But like I said, it's hard to say whether any of those plays would have resulted in us scoring. Perhaps we would have on one of those corner kicks. The play that really set everyone off, of course, was the non-call for Defrel's foul on Rachmani. Immediately after that, Diego Deme fouled Kyriakopoulos, and on that free kick, Sassuolo scored the equalizer. Let me start with the foul by Deme, because I know some people thought even that wasn't a foul. Back in the day, that would have not been a foul because he got the ball first, but in today's game, if you get the ball and then take out the player in the follow-through, that is still a foul. As far as the foul on Rachmani goes, I can appreciate that Pizzuto might not have seen that in real time, maybe he had a bad angle, but after the goal was scored, the VAR should have called him to the monitor to have a look. Either they never looked at it or they did look at it and decided themselves that there was no foul there. The consensus amongst experts after the match though was that there was in fact a foul. If I were a Sassuolo fan, the argument I would make is that Rachmani appeared to make an equally soft foul on Defrel right before Defrel fouled Rachmani. So if that were called, Sassuolo still would have been awarded a free kick from almost the exact same location on the pitch. Finally, there was the decision to reverse the third Sassuolo goal. Initially, I thought we might have gotten lucky there, but you can see quite clearly on the replay that Berardi fouled Rachmani there, so that was the correct decision. For a moment, I thought Gattuso returned to replace the dismissed Spalletti with the dangerous passes we were playing at the back. I think we were actually quite fortunate that there was a foul there because that would have made the second half an unmitigated disaster. It was still really bad, of course, especially when you consider all of the injuries. I'll provide an update on that in part 3. Now, if you asked me before the match if I would accept a draw away from home, I probably would have said yes. But to draw having led the match by two goals with only 20 minutes left to play, that was really difficult to accept. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll preview our match on Saturday against Atalanta. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Next, let's review our match on Saturday against Atalanta. I'm joined by a guest to help me with that. He is the founder of AtalantaPassione.com and he's a co-host of the excellent Atalanta pod with our friend Dan Pezzotta, who we've had on before. Nick, welcome to Forza Napoli. Hey, Joe. Um, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here and, and chat about the game this weekend. Pleasure to have you on. So before we get to the match, I want to start with Atalanta's season so far and it seems every year Atalanta start a little bit slow and then everyone says, I told you this is the year they're going to drop down in the table and then Atalanta go on a tear <laughs> and put themselves right back in the mix. So I want to get your thoughts on that from an Atalanta supporter's perspective. Do you have any theories as to why Atalanta have these kinds of starts to the season? Yeah, it's it's really weird. And it's, it's like deja vu all over again where we're pretty much saying the same thing. Oh, uh, like slow start dropping points where you probably shouldn't be. And then the winter break comes around and then they're just surging. It's, it's odd you mentioned if I have any theories. When I was with Dan on the pod, maybe a month ago, I was like, we have so many Northern European players on the team. Like, it's like, are these guys just not used to humidity? Do they prefer colder weather? I don't know if that's, there's nothing to back that up or anything at this spot that was interesting. And maybe that's really the, that, that's the source of all the problems potentially. But no, I don't know. It's, 
and especially with a team that doesn't have any turnover, it's not like you're trying to get used to each other early in the year or anything like that. Like they've all been playing together, at least the core has for, for multiple years now. So I don't know. It probably just comes down to randomness at the end of the day that they start off so slow at the beginning. But this year has been a little different in the fact that they've been able to get over that hump of the slow start a little faster. They're on 31 points. And I think this is five more than they had last year, five or six more. And this is the most points they've had after 15 match days. So while the slow start kind of got them maybe the first four or five matches, they've they've picked it up pretty furiously since then. Yeah, I know some people say that that start is because of how hard Gasparini trains his players, that it actually takes them a bit longer to, to get to a level physically that they can uh, play his system. But I think you can also make the case that Atalanta actually didn't start that slowly this year. I mean, you mentioned they're they're ahead of... Uh, their pace from last season, but you dropped points to Bologna and Fiorentina in the first three matches of the season, which looked bad at the time, but now 15 rounds into the season, Bologna are off to their best start in about a decade. Fiorentina have looked really good under Vincenzo Italiano. Those two teams are tied with Juventus for sixth place on 24 points, so they're actually not terrible teams. And Mm -hmm. the other teams that you've dropped points to are Inter, Milan, Udinese, and Lazio, other than Udinese, who's even, they're a team that can easily take points away from anyone in the league. I would suggest maybe it's not actually a slow start to this season. The Milan game was the only loss out of that that lot of games as well, other than uh, Mm -hmm. earlier in the season, I think it was the Fiorentina game was the other loss. It's just been a lot of a lot of draws and and maybe not getting results against some of the, I guess what you would call bigger clubs or at least top half of the table clubs, right? Yeah, I, I think that's a really fair way to look at it. And especially at the early part of the year, for, for all the teams too, the transfer window wasn't completely done yet. I think match day two was still in August and then the transfer window didn't close until a couple of days after. And Atalanta, we'll talk about him later, probably in Coop Miners, Tim Coop Miners. He was not there yet. And Martin Darum was suspended for the first four matches of the year. So we were kind of scrambling in the midfield a little bit, trying to find who the best person to pair with Raymond Freuler would be. So I think once that got situated out, I think things calmed down a little bit more, a little bit quicker because of that. I think that's one of the main roots why there were some rough patches in the beginning of the year. But as you alluded to, Bologna is doing great right now. And Fiorentina has been pretty steady all year. So at the end of the day, yeah, Udinese seems like a, a black spot more than anything else. But heck, look what they did to Lazio on Thursday. So they can really do it to anybody if they're on their game too. Yeah, exactly. And they're they're a lot more offensive now than they used to be, I, I found, at least this season. I don't know if just the departure of Rodrigo De Paul changed their, their entire game plan. They, they used to really just focus on countering with him. But, you know, Atlanta have really turned things around really for the last couple of months now. You're unbeaten in your last eight matches with six wins and two draws. That's allowed you to move up to fourth in the table, only five points behind Napoli. That means that if Atalanta win this match, you'll only be two points behind Napoli. And I think it's safe to assume that Milan will beat Salernitana this round. Inter play against Roma, which is an interesting match, but Roma are missing some key players. So if we assume that Inter win that game then we'll have only four points separating the top four teams in the table, which is just crazy. It's great for the neutral, that's for sure. Um, Yeah, Milan would be on 38 points, Inter on 37, Napoli on 36, and Atalanta on 34. So this is a really big match for both of these clubs. I want to get your thoughts on some key players. Now, 
I could probably talk to you all day because there's so many interesting stories on this with these players on this squad and there's so much depth, but we only have so much time. So I'm just going to pick a couple of them, but I think we have to start with Duvan Zapata. Last season, he scored 15 goals in Serie and three in the Champions League. Yeah, he had three, two against Ajax and one against Michelin. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then the season prior to that, he had 18 in Serie one in the Champions League. He's already up to nine goals in Serie and two in the Champions League this season. You must be thrilled with how he's playing. A hundred percent. Yeah. He's, it's almost night and day. I think kind of the goals he's scoring this year compared to last year. A lot of his goals are some of his assists, some of the attacks that he spurs on. It's down to like just pure hustle sometimes too. He's like really our only outlet when it comes to counters. Sometimes he'll just bully somebody off the ball and then just storm up field with it. He's he's quick and he's deceptively fast and then he has the strength to go with it. So a defender can't really get around him to uh, steal the ball back or anything like that. And he, he's had several goals like that. The, the Lazio goal stands out where you're, Marusic couldn't get around him and he's done that a few other times as well and he's on penalties too so that's tabbed his um his goal tally a little bit he scored three penalties but I I think just the engine and the motor that he's always had it's just paid off more in terms of his goal output and it's more evident to see how how much he actually does for the offense not just in terms of scoring goals, but leading the line. And he's been excellent at that and opening up the field specifically for Mario Pasolich, who's at seven goals, I think, now too. And some of our other players, and especially all this in the absence of Robin Gosens, who's an odd pick to have be an offensive outlet from the left wing. But he's definitely picked up the pace and has been has been huge for, for Atalanta up front. Yeah, Zapata has a lot of the same qualities, even though they're very different types of players and and look different but Zapata has a lot of the same qualities that Osaman has it's this rare combination of pace strength and ability to finish and mm-hmm. I think Zapata is probably stronger than Osaman the guy's an absolute beast and when Duvan wasn't scoring often or I would say as much let's say last season Luis Muriel picked up the slack and now it seems like a bit of the reverse this season where Muriel even though he's still mostly a substitute player hasn't scored as prolifically as as we've gotten accustomed to which was probably an unrealistic rate of of goal scoring to expect out of anyone but Duven has picked up the slack you mentioned Pazilic as well making his contributions he scored his fifth sixth and seventh goals of the season against Venezia midweek now six of those seven goals have come against Cagliari Spezia and Venezia but still that's a really positive sign from him yeah 100 percent and he's a headache for Atalanta fans like one week you're like just put him at the end of the bench and he's like the, he's like the last man you want to throw onto the field. And then other weeks like Venezia and, and then Empoli, he was really good with a couple of assists and Spezia as well. He's just pounding goals in. And for him, it was always the issue with him. I thought it was getting him out of the defensive midfield. His mistakes can be more exposed there and he's just more prone to errors. I feel, but if he's further up the pitch, it allows him to, his positioning is great. I, I don't know how you can quantify something like that, but it just feels like he knows where he has to be to basically slot these goals in. Like none of them are like really difficult chances necessarily, but he does all the hard work up front to get in the right place to, to make these goals look easy. And this year it's been great because as I mentioned with the Gosen's absence, he's, he's really filled the void to be that, I guess that tertiary goal scorer behind Zapata and Muriel that has ensured that the, offensive output hasn't really slowed down 
with their absences. As you mentioned with Muriel too, he was hurt a little bit as well. So he hasn't been able to get on the pace yet. I think we're getting close with him. He was good against Venezia. He had that wondrous free kick against young boys in the Champions League that he was able to just curl right over the top of the wall and just slot it ever so slightly into the near post. So I think he's coming around. And once we like to say, like, it's kind of like thunder and lightning with the Colombians. Zapata, he starts the match, he tires everybody out. Then Muriel comes on and just run, run circles around all of the tired defensemen after that. So hopefully we get a little of that soon. Yeah, the play that Muriel made to assist Pazilic, I think it was his third goal against Venezia was just unreal. I mean, those quick South American feet to just uh, turn yeah. the defender inside out there. Let's move on to the midfield. Is it just me or is Remo Freuler having a bit of an off year this season? It's funny you mentioned that because I, when we, I think it was two weeks ago in the pod, we were just going through our player ratings and I made that offhand comment. It's like, you know, Freuler just doesn't seem as, as good this year. I think we have high standards for him already. So we, we expect him to be one of the top midfielders in Serie A. So I think he has that going for him. But he was, I guess the way the Atalanta's double pivot works, usually if it's Martin Darun and Remo Freuler, Darun stays back, picks up a lot of the loose garbage, does all the dirty work that is really difficult to see. Um, like for an average fan, if you're not paying necessarily close attention to what's happening off the ball. And then Froehler is the one that's usually kind of charging forward, being more of a box-to-box midfielder. But I think the fact that Darun was absent for the first four matches, and then Atalanta had a pretty rough spell injury-wise at their defense, and Martin Darun was playing central defense for a month. And then, again, Froehler was in that role where he's kind of doing the Martin Darun work, I think, more so than anything. And then you're not really seeing him charge up the field more with his dribbles that he likes to do and challenging opposition in their own half. He's doing more of the stuff at the back that just kind of feels like it goes underappreciated a bit more. And I think that's kind of where I'm at at this point. He's just not making the splash plays that we're used to seeing him do. He's just doing the stuff off the ball and the less glamorous work that's still important to the team, but it's a little harder for us to see, I think. Yeah, the the defensive side never gets as much love as the attacking side. That's mm-hmm. just as average fans, let's say. I think as as you noted, the more astute fans that are watching the off the ball plays will probably pick up on some of that dirty work that he's doing. The nice thing for Atalanta fans, though, is even if he's not having his best game or anyone for that matter, you guys have so much depth this season, and that that you have the ability to take guys off the bench and bring others on. I want to close part two with Atalanta's back line. Palomino and Toloi are both playing really well. Jim City has always been very, very good. You have Demeral. We even saw Giuseppe Pezzella play as a wingback, and he played well in that role as well. Mm-hmm. So even with the departure of Christian Romero, who joined Tottenham, could this be the best collection of center backs that Atalanta has had in a little while? It's funny. It's weird to say because of how good Romero was last year and getting his big money move, but everything just feels tidier at the back now. And Demerol, I would consider him probably the fourth choice to play in the back three. So then you're left with Toloi, Palomino, and Jim City, which was Atalanta's starting three before Romero ever got there. So it's like, okay, we're just at the same point we were two years ago. These guys are two years older, but somehow it seems like they're better now. It's really hard to wrap your head around that, especially the fact that we thought we had we did have to bring Demerol in for depth, obviously. We brought him in. We brought Matteo Lovato in from Hellas Verona as well just to kind of round out that depth. 
but yeah, Palomino's been. I, th- I think he he's been the guy who's really stepped up his game the most this year. Out of the back, he was increasingly a liability at times last year, just with really head scratching dumb mistakes. Oftentimes, in some really dangerous spots on the field, he's really cleaned that up. And it's weird he's kind of coming into his own at the age of thirty one. It feels like a little bit now. So I think his emergence has really fortified the back line. And while they'll always give up their goals, they play you know, with the high press, they play that razor thin margin of getting beat potentially on a long ball, which has happened several times to them this year. And they've been notorious for letting teams claw back in the games, especially in the second half. But overall, I think the defense has still been solid as well. I also want to throw a shout out for Davide Sepacosta as well. Technically he's not in the defense, but as the right wing back, he's been probably the best signing I think of this off season. Cause he literally just slotted right in the third match of the year, started every single game until against Venezia, I think. And has just been that consistent, steady presence that we've kind of been lacking ever since Haz Hattabar went down with his first injury. Jeez, I guess it was almost 11 months from now last time. And now that Hattabar is coming back in the form, it gives us a little flexibility to, to jockey all these guys around, which is really nice. Zapacosta has been really, really good as well. And that, again, it goes back to that depth that we talked about and we'll talk more about in part three. That'll do for part two. As I said, in part three, we'll talk about the depth. We'll talk about the starting lineups and we'll do some predictions. Welcome to part three of the Forza Napoli podcast. Nick from Atalanta Passione and Atalanta Pod is with us to preview the match on Saturday So let's start with the starting lineups. I mentioned the depth a couple of times in part two. So I'm really curious to see who you think will start this match. So we had a fortunate midweek game, I would say, having to go up against Venezia. And we were able to give a lot of guys rest as a result of that. None of Joachim Mele, Davide Zapacosta, Duvan Zapata, Ruzino Malinovsky, Rema Froehler, and Martin Darun all got rest which is very beneficial. So because of that, I, I anticipate all to see all of them featuring against Napoli. But then we also have to worry about, because we have Villarreal midweek for a game that Atalanta has to win if they want to advance to the knockouts of the Champions League. So there might be a little balance there, but I think there's enough time between Saturday and Wednesday for them to, to get enough rest and not have to worry about burning anybody out. But I think at this point, it's kind of like the classic Atalanta 11, I think, that we'll see. Zapata, obviously, up front. And then he'll be paired with Malinovsky and Pasolich, kind of as the attacking midfielders. A lot of the offense going through the right side with Malinovsky and him trying to ping balls in. Uh, Martin Darun and Rimmer Freuler in the middle. And then they're going to be flanked by Joachim Mele on the left, who it's weird. As a right-footed player, he, he's like Spinazzola a little bit. It, it just seems like he's more comfortable on the left. People in the Euros will remember what he was doing for Denmark on the left-hand side. And even though he never uses his left foot, hardly ever, he he, he still just looks more comfortable there. And then Zappacosta on the right side, who's, who's kind of taken that and ran with it. And I think that's kind of his role to lose at this point. And then the back, um, for those who don't know, Atalanta, ever since Gasparini's been there, has played a back three. So it's always three center backs. With them, I, I went a little different. I don't think I, I don't have Jim City starting this. I went for a little more speed on the pitch with Demaral in the middle, Palomino on the left, Toloy on the right, and then Juan Musso, obviously at keeper. I think 
having Palomino and Demerol, they're they're a little quicker than uh, Baracci and City. And I think just with your front line, even though Osman's out, who's probably one of the fastest guys in the league, especially in attack, there's just going to be a lot of weaving in and out. It feels like between your attacking players who can just squeeze by you. And I think I think having guys who are a little more leggy and, and a little pacier will be a better defensive matchup. Yeah, that makes sense. We will have a much smaller, I mean, we always have a smaller attack, but certainly smaller without Osim in there. And Lozano is still very quick. So it does make sense to have uh, some of the speedier guys just to finish off the thought about the depth that you have. It's almost at every position that you have great options off the bench. You have, as we talked about, Hatabor that can come off the bench if you need to replace Apacosta. You have Pazilic and Pasina that can play as both as attacking midfielders, but you can also drop guys deeper with Froiler, Darun, Miners. They could all play in the center of the midfield. Ilicic has been very good lately, but I agree that Malinowski is probably the, the number one guy, and Ilicic can give you those important minutes against the Venezias and Spezias of the world, or mm-hmm. um, again, off the bench if you need maybe a bit more creativity with his passing. And then, of course, Muriel is the super sub, and he can give you more goals if you need them, which is usually not a problem for Atalanta, but they, they come anyways, and that's not even including guys like Piccoli and Miranchuk. So this is just an incredibly talented squad. When healthy, Napoli have a very deep squad as well. Unfortunately, that's not the case at the moment. So let me quickly provide an update on our injury situation, which will lead nicely into our starting 11. Alessandro Zanoli, who's our young backup fullback, is still positive for COVID, so he won't be in the squad. Our team doctor, Rafaela Canonico, provided an update on Friday of all our injured players. He said Costas Manolas had a glute injury and then an intestinal problem. That's what caused him to miss the midweek fixture. He should be available soon. I think that means that even if he's in the squad, which we're not really sure whether he will be, he probably would start on the bench anyways. Kalidou Kalibali has a second degree hamstring strain, so he's expected to be out for five weeks. Assuming he then goes off to the Africa Cup of Nations, that means we won't see Koulibaly until sometime around February. Canonico said that Fabian Ruiz and Lorenzo Insignia are not injured but fatigued. However, he said neither will be able to recover in time for this match, so they're both ruled out. Frank Zamboangisa is recovering, but he'll be available against Empoli at the earliest, so that means we won't have him for this match and we won't have him for the Leicester City match midweek in the Europa League. And finally, Victor Osman is obviously out for a while with multiple fractures to his orbital socket and his cheekbone. Canonico said that he's training at home and he'll return to training on the field next week, but of course without any contact. So where does that leave us in terms of a starting 11? Believe it or not, even with all those players missing, it's still a little bit tricky to project. I think we'll see David Ospina start in goal. I've seen a lot of people saying that they think Juan Jesus is better than Manolas. I think that's ludicrous. I know Manolas has not been very good for us, but I'm sorry, he's better than Juan Jesus. That said, given that Manolas is probably not 100% and that Juan Jesus is left-footed, I think Jesus will play center-left and Rachmani will play center-right. Mario Rui and Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start at left and right-back respectively. Now, the front six is where things get interesting and the reason for that is because Ellie Felmas can play in so many different positions. He's sort of the ultimate utility player at the moment. And I feel like that will kind of dictate how everybody else sets up. He can play in the double pivot or as the 10 in a 4-2-3-1. He can play as an attacking midfielder in the 4-3-3, or he can play on the left wing in either formation. But I actually think he's going to start on the bench. I think we're going to go with a midfield three of Stanislav Lobotka, 
Diego Demme and Piotr Zelensky. And Zelensky will play a bit higher up in that left half space that he likes to get into. And then Demme and Lobotka give you a bit more defensive solidity than you would have if Elmas was playing in that midfield because positionally he's not that great. We all know how potent Atlanta's attack is, so I think that's really important. I just wish we had more size in the midfield, but that's what Angisa normally gives you. With Insigne out, I think Chucky Lozano will start on the left wing and Matteo Politano, who just returned last match, will start on the right wing. And then finally, Spalletti said in his pre-match conference that Dries Mertens will be wearing the captain's armband, which is really further confirmation that Insigne won't be playing this game, or at least he won't be starting. So I think Mertens will start in the number nine. So that leaves us with Elmas, Adam Unas, and Andrea Petania as sort of our main options off the bench. All right, so let's close with some predictions. Nick, how do you see this one playing out? I think the injuries that you guys have suffered recently, it's going to make it tough. Let me rephrase it. I thought going into this match, if both squads are fully healthy, I thought Atalanta was going to it was going to be a lot tougher for them to, to pick up points going down to the Maradona stadium. Knowing what we do now with basically the spine out for you guys, unfortunately with Koulibaly, Angisa, Ruiz, Oshaman, and then geez, even throwing Insigne as well, even though he's not technically in the spine, it just balances the scales out a little more in our favor. I think just for the fact that we've, we kind of got over our injury bug right around the time you guys are, are starting yours. So I think from that standpoint, I see Atalanta just trying to take the game as much as possible, which they normally do. It doesn't really matter who they're playing, home or away. They're always going to try to take it to an opponent. So I don't think that's too much of a surprise. But I predicted on our pod, I, I think I predicted 3-2 in favor of Atalanta. So I'm going to keep going with that. And that was knowing the injury history, knowing that it's confirmed now. I think it's a game we can get points out of. And I'm seeing three come up Saturday night for us. Yeah, and you almost sound like hesitant to break that news to Napoli fans, but I, I have to agree <laughs> with you. I, I've got Atalanta winning 3-1, so three goals as well. And I'm going to give Zapata a brace and the other one to Malinowski, and then I'll give the Napoli goal to Mertens. I, I just think that the loss of five of our regular starters is just too much to overcome. We also won't have Spalletti on the touchline. He was suspended for this match and the next one um, after he had some choice words for the official in the, in the uh, last match. So Marco Domenichini will be the coach. I actually don't think that will change much. Spalletti is still doing all the preparation during the week, and I'm sure he'll speak to Domenichini at halftime. But I think these teams are heading in opposite directions, as you kind of alluded to with the injuries. All of the points that Napoli have dropped this season have been in our last four matches and Atalanta won their last four matches, so form is is definitely in Atalanta's favor. Nick, that's all we have time for today, but thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Yeah, Joe, thanks for having me on. Good luck on Saturday, even though I hope the points come our way, but hopefully you guys can get over your injury bug soon, and we'll have a really exciting Scudetto race going because it really looks like it's shaping up to be a cracker this year. Yeah, I completely agree. I think at this point we'd probably be content with a draw, but hopefully it stays competitive all year round. You can find Nick on Twitter at Atalanta Passion, and you can find the Atalanta Pod at Atalanta Pod. Again, I highly recommend if you're looking for anything to do with Atalanta, Nick and Dan do a fantastic job there. If you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I just posted our second Napolitan song of the week, which is Gualiuna Mezzavia by Lucariello. Most people will recognize Lucariello from his work on the show Gomorra. 
What most people don't know is that he does a lot of social work in the suburbs, juvenile prisons, and schools in Napoli, so be sure to check that out. I'll be back next week with probably a couple of episodes. We'll review this match, we'll review our Primavera and our Femenile matches, and we'll preview our midweek fixture against Leicester City in the Europa League. Our Europa League fate will be decided in that match. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Podcast Network.